the day after I got laid off, I got this email in the afternoon and it's Pete Wentz who pops up. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. You are listening to episode 246 of Sapnin Podcast featuring myself, Sean Smith, and my good friend, Morgan Richards. Yes, it's me, Morgan Richards. And basically, this podcast is in the business of misery. So let's take it from the top. With some emo sweetness, you can tell all your friends or take to your grave. Yeah, this is literally the <laughs> ultimate pun fest for you. I just realized, yeah. Um, I would have gone with... But, you know, that's just me. Despite those crazy clues, this week's guest is Mr. Chris Payne, who is a fantastic author, journalist, and emo aficionado. Yes, so we take great pride in being massive fucking emo kids at heart. If you've clicked on this, you probably feel the same. We've all cried to Dashboard Confessional, tried to keep up with MCR's latest fashion trends. I haven't. And danced in our underwear to Paramore. Or is that just me? No, no, I've done done our bit and I've done my (laughs) chem bit. I've never cried to Dashboard, I don't think. Uh. I don't know why. I, I miss Dashboard. Dashboard was kind of... I was into my heavy metal and new metal when Dashboard was kind of at its peak, and I kind of came into what we now call emo a bit later. But, uh, yeah, sorry for uh, butting in and ruining the podcast, but carry on, man. You're missing out. You're missing out. But we always keep an eye on the scene and new ideas for interesting conversations we can have. And something that's been doing the rounds at the moment is the book, Where Are Your Boys Tonight? The Oral History of Emo's Mainstream Explosion Uh from 1999 the 2008 it features interviews from so many of our friends and former guests of the podcast in mikey way chris caraba gabe supporter cassidy pope jeff rickley travi mccoy burt mccracken and other staple figures like fallout boy hence the title jimmy world managers label heads porn stars all of them are sandwiched in together for this book looking back at that time frame inference and representing this movement we're all obsessed with so after it was recommended we wanted to invite journalist and author chris ping on to celebrate all things emo dissect the book 
and some of our favorite nuances of yesteryear. And really, this time period was just one of your favorites in general, Sean. Yeah, what a fantastic period. Back in my day. Oh, God, alive. I'm a fucking old man. I am going to be that old man in a pub who's like, oh, you know, Fallout, boy. I know him. I met him. And people will be like, yeah, right, old granddad. That's about six months from now, anyway. So, yeah, no, this was a fantastic time for music. This book is very, very insightful. This is a brilliant, brilliant chat. It was super, super interesting to talk to Chris about this. And yeah, cover everything from the early days of emo to the latest incarnations and everything in between. It was a good, it was a great, great chat that I enjoyed very, very much. And um, yeah, I hope he gets to do book number two after we give him a book number two idea. Mm. He's welcome. (laughs) But Chris is so respected in this scene and has made so many contacts from his years of working at Alternative Press and Billboard. He hosted their podcast, talking from everyone to Billie Eilish, Panic at the Disco. And we talk about his career and growing up in the New Jersey scene to some of our favorite things in emo and just dissecting little things from the book and everything else. You know, why is there such a nostalgic buzz for this period at the moment? The origins and the evolution of the term. Pete went side hustles, some big rivalries in the scene, label culture, Hayley Williams becoming the poster child for change in inclusivity myspace underrated bands and the one person who is furious not to get mentioned in the book even though they do me <laughs> spoiler alert um, no i don't get mentioned in the book but i am fucking furious i'm not i'm not, I'm not mentioned <laughs> in it even though i played zero part in any of those bands careers doing well but i did see them all early on so Perhaps. Well, imagine if it turns out, if I see your band early yeah. on, right, yeah. you go on to be massive. <laughs> imagine if that's like a link nobody's ever met. Like, Ooh. yeah, he didn't. He, he saw my chemical romance support in Take a Back Sunday in um, smaller venues. Oh, I wonder what. Oh, fucking hell, massive. Oh, he saw Paramore um, play Cardiff Barfly. Oh, that's absolutely fucking, t- they fucking massive. Um, I'm trying to think who else I've seen in small rooms who end up being fucking massive. <laughs> <laughs> I might just claim it. Yeah, every festival headliner, I saw him in a 200 capacity uh, venue somewhere uh, once. And now they're all fucking massive. So they are welcome. This was a great fucking chat. If you enjoy this chat or um, you've got any comments about anything that was said during this chat, get in touch with us at Pod on Twitter, Instagram. And you can try TikTok, but I promise you I probably won't check it. And I don't even know how to check the messages on TikTok. (laughs) So we might even have some. Rumor has it, Fred Durst messaged us on TikTok asking could he come on, but I cannot find the messages to Uh, find out when. So um, check out patreon.com forward slash happening. It's the only way to support this other than directly handing us £50 notes in the flesh, which we do accept. We do. That would be nice. But if it's easier for you, patreon.com forward slash happening. There's a whole community of emos in there who embrace each other and cry over all your favorite bands. So get involved, have a laugh and join the community. Um, But without any further ado, let's get straight into it. This is a conversation about all things emo and celebrating those throwback moments with Chris Payne on episode 246 of Sapnin' Podcast. Sapnin'! Sapnin'! I don't know why I did it like the old man of the family guy, but... Hey, Chris. 
you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volur XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Sapnin! 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 Yes! Our guest on this week's episode is Chris Payne, author, journalist, and now emo aficionado. Here he is, Chris. How are you? <laughs> I'm good. I'm good. Thank you so much for having me and for uh, for those uh, very prestigious titles you've heaped upon me. <laughs> That's okay. That's okay. <laughs> But yeah, how are you? What have you been up to? What's, what's news before we get into book talk? Been good. Um, been, did, was doing a little bit of freelancing around the time leading up to the book, but like with, uh, release month kind of gave myself a bit of a break, going to some shows, doing book promo stuff, doing, catching up on some reading, catching up on some listening, just living, you know, it's been a, it's been a good, uh, been a good couple months since the book. Well, it hasn't been two months yet, but good month or so since the book came out. Who have you been to see lately? What what bands have you been checking out? Uh, uh, me and my girlfriend went to go see Maggie Rogers last night at uh, Forest Hills uh, Stadium in Queens. We we live in Bushwick in New York. Uh, great show. Love Maggie Rogers. One of my favorite artists out right now. Seen her a few times. Very good time. It uh, it it started pouring last night, but literally the second, literally seconds after she finished her final encore song, it was really kind of, kind of beautiful because there was like heat lightning going off. It was like it's been like it it's been like historically 
hot and humid in the States, maybe over you guys too, unfortunately. Crazy heat lightning forming in this huge outdoor stadium. And then the second she ended her last song, it just sort of raining. Wow. I love it when stuff She happens. can control the weather. Wow. <laughs> she's, she's the Paul McCartney of over there, apparently. <laughs> apparently, when you're in Glastonbury, I heard a rumor that Paul McCartney paid to have the clouds dissipated. Don't know how you do it, but I read it. I, and it was online, so it was 100% true. <laughs> uh, but yeah, that's, that's yeah. class. I'm glad you had a good time. Well, we appreciate you uh, getting a birdie to, to talk to us, Chris. And as I've mentioned to you before, there's so much we want to get into surrounding this book and everything. But there's just been a lot of buzz around where are your boys tonight at the moment. And before we get into it, people who don't know, if you could just kind of uh, talk about y- your background a little bit and your work for Billboard and Alternative Press and how that escalated into the uh, DNA and idea of this book. Yeah, so I grew up in New Jersey, went to high school between the years 02 and 06. So this scene of music was popping when I was in high school. I was pretty much the exact target demographic for someone who would get into, you know, what we now call is like 2000s emo or third wave emo, the stuff that got popular, you know, MCR is huge second album three cheers for sweet revenge came out in 2004 like right in the middle of my high school experience bands like thursday who were from new jersey midtown were already kind of like well-established local heroes mcr fallout boy comes along you know they were from chicago but they toured through and played a lot in jersey all these bands did there were there was just like so many venues and record stores that were unique to Jersey that were accessible for a kid like me who was just like a high schooler who when you're in high school, at least in the States, you, you know, driving age is like 17, 16. So like up until later high school, it's like, you don't even have a car. So it's like hard to get to stuff, but there were all these great venues like Starland ballroom and like vintage vinyl, this like legendary record store that was 10 minutes from my house in Jersey. So yeah, the scene was really popping and it really like showed a kid who like wasn't from like fancy rich parents or something that like, yeah, you can do something. And my buddy Greg, my buddy Greg Scalera, he played synths in a band called Moraine, who uh, they were kind of like a get up kids, Motion City soundtrack kind of sound. And they were close to getting signed for a few years, pretty established in the local scene. They opened for bands like Paramore and Jim Class Heroes when I was you know, junior, senior in high school and like seeing your, one of your best friends playing a band that's opening for national acts coming through is pretty insane. And like inspires you to just kind of think bigger, hang out with my buddy, Greg, we would be like just me and our other friends, like playing guitar hero or something. And he would just be like chatting with Haley from Paramore because they were both in bands that toured together. And like, it was just like kind of crazy, you know, thinking back how popular that era of punk rock got and so looking back and all that in the book was pretty exciting for me pretty exciting because it it was really like a formative experience for me and going on to write for billboard and obviously the book so what was the um yeah what what was the first spark i guess that made you go i need to fucking write this book i need to get it done yeah so i got laid off from billboard that was definitely the spark of bastards yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> Fuck them. <laughs> <I'm out of here. laughs> 
there for seven years and they laid, they laid off me and a bunch of other people like early pandemic and it was April of 2020. So the book had been on my mind for a while because I was really inspired by Meet Me in the Bathroom, you know, the oral history of New York City, garage rock, strokes, yeah, yeahs, that stuff. Meet Me in the Bathroom came out in 2017, I believe. So that inspired me to do a couple oral history articles. One was about the 05 Warp Tour. One was about Panic at the Disco. I did these articles when I was at Billboard. They went over really well. I was like, huh, feels like there's a book here. But I was busy at my job. Then I got laid off. So I was like, all right, I guess it's book time. What really got me going was the day after I got laid off, which is like a very weird time because it's like obviously really upsetting but also like you're getting all this attention and like outpouring of people who are like, Oh my God, so sorry. Reach out to me or something. And, you know, I, I probably got more like followers on social media from the day I got laid off than any, like anything with anything else ever, wow. which is weird. <laughs> but the day after I got laid off, I got this email in the afternoon and it's Pete Wentz who pops up in the, the, <laughs> From Pete Wentz. And I was like, huh, what's this? Yeah, what? There's two of them. There can't be two of them, surely. <laughs> and like, we, we had talked a bunch from interviews that Bill Wright. I, I had interviewed Fall Out Boy a bunch in the 2010s when they had their whole second win. But we had never like emailed, you know, like that. So I was like, huh, is someone like fucking with me? But it was him. It was just like some words of encouragement, like, you know, saw on Twitter or whatever. You got laid off, you know, stay in touch. And that email conversation just led to me asking like, hey, would you want to be interviewed for this book idea I have? And long story short, Pete's all over the book. He really opened up about a lot of interesting stuff about all eras of his life. And thank you to Pete for being very cool and for following through. And also Patrick from Fall Out Boy. They're both all over the book Mm. and... The way the way the book tells the story of Bob, boy, I'm very very excited about. Yeah, what a class story. Yeah, what a <laughs> fuck. I love I love me some Stumpy and Wentzy. Fair play to them, right? The absolute top chaps. Don't have, the thing is they don't have to be, do they? They like they could just be like, oh, fuck all, fuck everybody else. We're a fucking massive band, but it right. turns out they are they are genuinely lovely, lovely guys. Like, that's amazing. I'm so glad to hear that for you. Yeah, that's how it all started. It's it's pretty cool. Pretty 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 surreal. I feel like that word gets used a lot in this stuff, but it was it, it was very surreal. Where are your boys tonight? It's a Fall Out Boy song. Where is your boy tonight? You know, so Well did you did you have the title before the idea came about, or did you only do that after you had so much of uh, Pete and uh, Pat? No, yeah, it kinda came out that way. The original working title was just called story of the scene, which was like, I never intended it to be the title. It was just kind of like, you know, how someone in a band, if you come up with a song, but you can't think of a title, you just probably just take something very generic or just like song one, you, you know? And so it was, it was like a placeholder. I thought about calling it tell all your friends, which is uh taking back Sunday. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I thought, I thought about that, but then I realized where are your boys it started off as the 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 title of uh a section the, the section on 0304 
And I was like, oh, actually, this title that's just a section title is way too good to just be that because it encapsulates so much. Where are your boys tonight? So I bumped it up to be the title of the book. I read that you've did over like 150 interviews for this and speaking to people from Mikey Way to Dashboard Confessional and Jimmy World. But was there anyone in particular that really blew you away with kind of their stories or kind of opened your eyes to a side of this scene that you hadn't really thought of or got to deep dive into it that much? Yeah, I mean, well, yeah, just just hearing like Mikey talk, just getting to talk to Mikey was so awesome. Mikey was so generous with his time for this. Like hearing Mikey talk about going not just MCR, but like how when he was a kid around the time MCR was starting out, he was like going out to like dance stuff in New York City, like clubs like Tizwaz, which are all over Meet Me in the Bathroom, where bands like The Strokes and Interpol would play and hang out. Hearing about the intersection of that like downtown scene with so many of these band members, like also Gabe Supporta from Midtown, Anthony Ranieri from Bayside, uh, Ben Jorgensen from R for Sleep. I feel like a lot of members of emo bands hung out like in that downtown New York City scene, you know, the subject of Meet Me in the Bathroom, rubbing shoulders with like Carlos D from Interpol and Julian Casablancas and Carano or whoever. And that always felt very uh like a story that hadn't been told much. Like how this scene that was so the emo scene of the suburbs and like the cool hipster dance scene, rock and roll scene of like lower Manhattan were actually like pretty intertwined that, that I, I weave throughout the, the years of the book. Yeah. Cause it was just like finding things that hadn't really been talked about much before about this music. Cause this, this genre has so many obsessive fans who have read everything. So I couldn't just be like rehashing old alternative press interviews from like 06 or whatever in this or oh band's wikipedia page i really wanted to come with new stuff that hadn't really been out there before and i feel really good saying like if someone is a fan of the bands of this book i'm pretty sure there is stuff in here you haven't heard before well now you mention it yeah now you mention that scene and and like that indie that hot indie scene at the time I didn't, I never really put two and two together, but yeah, now you mention it. They're like, there's even like, I guess crossover, like Dancy India, there's like crossover bands at that time as well. Like, when did Men, Women and Children come out? Like, that's Todd who used to be in Glass Joe's old band. Like, they were kind of that yeah. cool hipstery vibe. Head Automatica, obviously. Yeah, it's just, yeah, it's wild to think. And it's mad to think about everyone we love, like as emo heroes, I suppose, if you call them that. They all loved music that we were all trying to get, in a way, trying to get away from. Like, in the UK, <laughs> if you liked emo, there's no way you liked indie. Like, there was, ne- there was never that, like, oh, I like The Strokes and I like My Chemical Romance. It was like, one or the other. So, yeah, it's, it's mad to hear that everyone we loved back then was into bands that we kind of didn't like over here, in a way. And throughout those interviews, was there, um, like, a decisive moment where it really pinpointed where the start of emo came from in a lot of ways and where this buzz first began because we keep hearing about the kind of different waves of this scene and it going up and down but like yeah was was there a ping point where a lot of people were saying that this was really where it all began 
Yeah, it's such an interesting question because it gets people going. You know, what is emo? What's not? I feel like nowhere near as much as it used to. I think it was. This is something that people I think would argue about online a lot. Maybe in like the aughts and early 2010s. I think people thankfully have mellowed out a lot on this, which is good for everyone. But yeah, I mean, like emo started in the mid 80s. As far as the focus of the book, which is the boom in the mainstream, it's mainstream moment, how it came from underground punk culture, infiltrated the mainstream, how the genre changed, socially how it all changed, and then how the movement came and went and went back underground. That was the crux of the book. And I... I knew I had to figure out a good starting point for where it felt like it started to become big, where it got pop aspirations, when it started to get really catchy, polished, cute. I thought about starting it with the middle and Jimmy Eat World as like their breakout hit. That song came out in 01, got big in 02. I thought about starting it with that. And also Jimmy Eat World is my all-time favorite band. As I started to actually talk to people who were in the scene in the late 90s, which is like a little bit before my time, I got more and more the sense of like, yeah, Jimmy World, amazing bands, the middle, obviously important, but they kind of came out of nowhere. And, you know, it really seemed more and more like Jersey was where the potential to be huge came from for this music and that bands like saves the day in midtown even though they didn't really have their big mainstream moment really were the ones in the late 90s who first introduced like oh like these songs have really sugary core these are like hardcore bands but they're like writing songs you know what i mean first chorus first chorus songs so yeah, I go to the year 1999 to start the book, and mainly because of the albums uh, Through Being Cool by uh, Dave Day, and also the Get Up Kids Something to Write Home About, where, you know, there were bands like Promise Ring with like Nothing Feels Good that kind of hinted at pop songs and emo in post-hardcore, but it really felt like the start of like, oh shit, this could be on MTV. These bands are writing sugary choruses and they're like doing up the cuteness and whatever. It, that that really seemed like it started with with saves and and the get up kids in '99. So '99 is the first year of the book that appears on the cover. Nice. Yeah. Where do you see um, where do you see Lifetime fitting into all of this? Yeah, I'm, I chatted with uh, Ari, the singer, and Dan, the guitarist, for the book, which is sick. Lifetime, a huge influence, and they're in the book a bunch. Yeah, one one of the thing, I mean, like it's pretty well documented how like they were a huge inspiration on Fall Out Boy. Fall Out Boy took like the you know chugging, hardcore but but emotional side of Lifetime, put actual choruses into the music, stretched it out to three minutes, and basically turned it pop. So like with the book getting to talk to them about like how they view fallout boy because lifetime did a comeback album in 07 that pete wentz put out on his label to cadence and i like i remember that album coming out as a kid and it like it it wasn't 
it wasn't loved. People didn't hate on it. It was just kind of like, huh, not as good as the old stuff, but you know, cool to see this. But like getting to talk to Dan and Ari about working with Wentz when he was like, you know, peak celebrity Pete Wentz, you know, gossip magazines. This is when he was with Ashley Simpson and around the era of when Pete's like dick pics leaked. It was just like peak pop star, like, you know, at the VMAs, Pete Wentz, like putting out a lifetime record is like so weird to think about now. And yeah, the like the lifetime guys were just like, he was cool because other labels if we were going to reform and put out a record, they wanted us to tour because that sells records. Pete was just like, you can do whatever. I wonder if a little bit of that is Pete going, ah, we kind of owe you. I'll put your record out. Because, <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, it you was, kind you know, of give us the idea for this. It's cred. You know, that's part of it. But it's like, you know, a millionaire doing his, using his powers for good. It's rare. It's very rare. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Give us a new Lifetime record. Maybe, like, save the rainforest, but also, like, put out a Lifetime record. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, imagine, yeah, Zuckerberg's done a big, he does a big GoFundMe, and he's like, oh, yeah, yeah, we want to save the world, yeah, we want to meta, but also, let's do New uh, New Jersey's Best Dancers 9. No, it's always, it's always been interesting to see how on the pulse Pete Wentz is being in these things and hearing all the kind of side hustles he's had over the years that people kind of don't really notice when you're just a fan. Like, he's being involved with so many different things that kind of escape from you in a lot of ways. Yeah, I mean, especially the band Race Trader, I really wanted to ask him about. It was just, like, super left-wing, super ahead of their time, like, political hardcore band in Chicago in the late 90s who were still around today. Andy Hurley, the drummer of Fall Boy, still drums in Race Trader, which is sick. But yeah, just like no, known for being like super confrontational, just a legend within hardcore whose story hadn't had been told a bit in the late 2010s, I think, as their message of like calling out people for their complicity and racism and like systemic nature of it all, of like how capitalism and everything fits together in this. I think was coming a lot more into the, into the, you know, the discussion in the late 2010s. And there was, there was a bit of writing on race trader, but I hadn't really seen Wentz get asked about playing in this band like years before fallout boy and chatting with him about his time in race trader back when he had dreads back when he was rocking like Jenko's or like huge baggy jeans and just, he he was kind of in the band for six months, but whether or not he was in the band, he was like at every show, just like in the pit, kind of getting everyone going. You know, side of Pete Wentz that I think like a lot of people don't know about. And I'm really excited as like more and more people like check out those early chapters of the book, because like I said, I really wanted to find stuff for the people who know all about this stuff hadn't uncovered yet. And, you know, I hadn't seen Pete talk at length about race trader at all. So getting him in there chatting about this wacky, important band was pretty exciting. Yeah. That's the thing at the moment. I feel like there's such a nostalgic buzz around this whole scene. If it being from the bands who are at the top of that mainstream success to weird side projects, people are just kind of picking back up. I mean, you've just got to look at, everything lately with every band getting back together and when we were young festival kind of trying to replace that warp tour size hole 
and uh, and everyone's lives and Fall Out Boy themselves are putting out a, a darker record after a lot of commercial success on the, on the last few ones. I mean, I'm sure it's been interesting in the book and just as a fan point of view to see how this kind of ease and flows and the people have to adapt, but it still gets a lot of attention now and, and that a lot of this is coming full circle. Yeah, it's pretty wild how emo has evolved into where it exists in culture now, where it's, you know, people use the term emo to just describe like fucking everything, you know, but not <laughs> yeah. that way. Like, I don't say that to hate on it. It's just like, oh, I'm feeling so emo today or like Drake is emo or like, you know, this couch is so emo or whatever. It's like, cause like no one wanted to be called that. None of the bands back in like the two thousands, but now you see fall out boy did a music video for, um, love on the other side. And like one of the, like the little like hidden bits in the video is in the beginning, there's like a bookshelf and it's like all like emo books, like plays on the word emo. And so like fall out boy, like, openly embracing haha we're in on the joke now we're emo you know pretty mikey way just without being asked just like calling mcr and emo bands just in the book almost not not everyone but almost everyone in the book who i interviewed was just accepting of being called an emo band which is just shocking to me because it, it hasn't stopped being like a a controversial word, but just considering like how much people in the bands hated being called this back in the day. It's so, it's so entertaining, like where it is now. Yeah. Well, I think, I think people back in the day kind of used it like as a derogatory term and was just like blanket in everything that was shouty or had any sort of emotion up or down as emo. It's, it's basically now emo, at least over here, is the new goth. Like, back in back in my day when I was younger, if you were into any sort of rock, it could be Blimp Biscuit, it could be Foo Fighters, it could be System of Death, you were a goth. That's how it is. And yeah. now, if you're into any music that's <laughs> metally or shouty, or alternative, you're an emo. You're an emo. So, and, but yeah, it's, it's nice to see that people have just kind of accepted it, because for a while, yeah, I, yeah loads of bands... We're just like, we're not, we're not emo. What are you on about? We're post-hardcore. And then, you know, that old fucking chestnut. I'm glad people have started taking it on, to be honest, because it was a, just a blanket term for derogatory look at music at the time. But now it's a blanket term for everything that was kind of good back in the 2000s now. Yeah, it's funny. It's funny how, like you were saying, it, it feels kind of like a catch-all for any kind of rock music that's that's like not the Foo Fighters or, or, or like any kind of rock music that's the least bit alternative or the least bit angsty. Like I feel maybe the Foo Fighters were the best example because I feel like to a lot of young people now, like Nirvana is an emo band or like Lincoln Park <laughs> is an emo band. And I'm like, yeah. I'm, not even, I'm yeah. not even joking. Like that. It's just like any music that like any kind of rock or like hip hop that's like, Kind of, kind of goth, kind of emotional, kind of performative. Oh yeah, emo. And like, <laughs> there's probably still some old school haters out there who hate that. And like, 
I don't think it's accurate from like, you know, where I come from, from my era, but you know, I'm, it's fine with me. Like, I'm not going to like waste breath arguing about what the kids want to call things because, you know, these terms evolve. That's how it's always been. On the flip side to that, talking about the kind of spotlight on the scene and anything like this, it, you know, you, you have waves of it being really popular and then it disappearing for a bit, but there's always been a huge community of people who have embraced this when it's popular and when it's not. What do you in particular think it is about emo alternative music that people resonate with and will always have a following? I think that it's, it's a release and it's, it makes it okay to just get rid of any like filters or inhibitions or things of like trying to be cool or put on airs and just like, do you, you know, I think that touches on why a a lot of young people now just have such a broad definition of what emo is. But yeah, I mean, it's like if you read a lot of lyrics from bands like the used on their first, their used self-titled or My Chemical Romance, Three, three Cheers or Fall Out Boy, Cork Tree, there's definitely like wordplay going on. But yeah, it's like, it's fucking emotional. Like it's, it's like it's lyrics that you want to like, when you hear them live, whether it's the band playing or you're at some like corny emo night or whatever, you're going to want to just like, yell those lyrics to the person standing next to you or just like point, point your finger and yell them, you know, it's not like the coolest thing, but in some ways at any age, like you need that release and it's just, you can't be cool all the time, no matter how cool you are. No one can be like Carlos D or Julian Casablanca's 24 seven, probably not even them can be cool 24 seven. So now, yeah, I think Julia Julian had a dip in about uh, 2019. <laughs> I think he had, a, he, had a qui- he had a quiet minute back then, um, post doing stuff with Lonely Island. That'll do it. See, as soon as you start working with Lonely Island, you've got to take a dip for a, for a year or two. I think, but yeah, crazy. What's personally your favorite album from that time? Oh, Jimmy Eat World, uh, Bleed American album. Oh, album. Nice, Jane, nice, Jane, nice. Changed it all for me. It was, yeah. <laughs> What were you into before that? Uh, basically just whatever was on like pop radio or like rock radio. I didn't even really buy CDs before I got into Jimmy World. I just kind of had like the songs I downloaded off of Napster and would sometimes just like make mixed CDs of just stuff that was on the radio. Like I, I was really into sports as a kid. Like I played like Pop Warner football uh baseball street hockey i was like a sports kid then just like as i grew and just like got into other stuff jimmy world like it did for a lot of people was that door that opened into the underground and like the you know the the tip of the iceberg to the whole iceberg because like they had a top five hit single with the middle but also they came from like the mid 90s underground post hardcore scene influenced by like Indian Summer and Moss Icon and bands like that. And, you know, toured with the Get Up Kids and Braid and the Promise Ring. So it's like you get into them and without really realizing it, you start to learn about the history of the genre and just dig deeper 
Yeah, man. I could just talk about Jimmy World forever. <laughs> Jimmy Jimmy World's the truth. And it's just <laughs> I've interviewed them a bunch of times and it's like I love how they're they're just like the most normal dudes. And they're just like they're the good guys. That's how I feel about with, with Jimmy World in the middle and just like how the They've never broken up. They've always had the same lineup since their first album. They just seem like the most well-adjusted good dudes. Despite Prince covering them. Like, that would make me a dick. Like, if, if I found a Prince fucking played, jammed one of my band's songs, I'd pull my own head off. So the fact that uh, Jimmy Eat World is still going after that happening is unbelievable. Like, imagine being in Jimmy Eat World, right? You've, got this, you've had this amazing success, like you said, with the middle... And the next minute, you hear the fucking princes covered it. What? How do you? Like, oh, I can't even. Call, I can't wait. To, I can't <laughs> wait to talk to Jim Atkins about that. Taylor Swift is one of like their most vocal fans. Jim, the singer Jimmy World, has like gone on stage on tour with Taylor and like done the middle with her band. There was this commercial in the states. I think it was an Apple commercial a few years ago where Taylor's like on a treadmill singing the middle. It's funny, <laughs> but, but they, they, they are one band of all this, them and like Thursday and a couple others who were kind of popular and were never super uncool, even in like the late aughts and 2010s when this stuff fell out of the mainstream. Them, I feel like Thursday, maybe a couple others were like the bands who were still kind of like cool to talk about, even if you were like hiding the facts that you used to love My Chemical Romance or something. Now, none of this matters. But like back back in the days of when people were very uh very pretentious online about like what kinds of rock music they cops to liking. <laughs> yeah, well, we will never have anything bad said about Jimmy World or Thursday on this podcast. We owe uh, Jeff Rickley a lot of stuff in our personal lives. But on that note as well, like, is there any bands that come to mind for you that thought maybe? Oh, they were at the wrong place at the wrong time and kind of just missed out on that kind of mainstream boom or maybe a little bit too early, a little bit too late. Yeah, um, an interesting one in the book uh, is a band called Hey Monday. Who, yeah. Yeah, they were like, they were definitely more on the pop tip, but, you know, they were on Pete's you know, Decadence label. He, he put out their album a year after he put out that Lifetime album. <laughs> um <laughs> But yeah, they're fronted by Cassidy Pope, who a couple of years after the band broke up, she won The Voice, had some had like a good amount of success as a country pop singer. So she's done really well. But yeah, the band put out this album called Hold On Tight in 08, you know, on the heels of like Fall Out Boy Infinity on High, the one with Thanks for the Memories and Paramore Riot. I remember hearing this Hey Monday album, you know, huge choruses, obviously the singer, she won The Voice, huge huge vocal presence. She can belt. I was like, Oh yeah, obviously this is going to be huge. But uh, there was a lead single called uh, homecoming that had like a little bit of top 40 pop airplay a little bit, but the album just kind of came and went and the band broke up a few years after never did another full length. Yeah. Interviewing Cassidy for the book was really cool because she just really looked back on things with a lot of insight about why the band did and didn't have success. That one really sticks out. There's a lot of these. Because there's only so many spots on pop radio, pop radio at any time for, you know, 
for rock songs, for, for emo pop songs, especially when so many of these bands are coming from the same record label. You know, you can only have so many, so many Panic at the Discos, only so many Fallout Boys. But Hey Monday, good one to check out. Hey Monday, Hold On Tight is the album. Oh yeah, 100%. Yeah, we've, had, we've had Cassidy on before. Oh really? She was one of our uh, earliest, earliest guests. And uh, Hey Monday was actually the first band that I saw without any parents being involved. Oh, no way. For Fall Out <laughs> Boy were headlining. They were opening. And then, <laughs> and then uh, there's a, there was a band, there's a band over here, Kids in Glass Houses, who are big in like the alternative world. So that was the lineup of the, the first band I went to by myself. Son's <laughs> parents. Nice. <laughs> That's so cool. Yeah, she talked about that tour briefly. We we talked for like, you know, an hour and a half, which is like an interesting thing with the book where like there's so many interviews, so much interesting stuff. You can only get so much into the pages of a book. Yeah, we 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 definitely talked about that tour. How, you know, Fall Out Boy were nice to them. They were totally cool, but at this point, you know, they were kind of off in their own world, super busy with press on their own bus or whatever, flying and, you know, Hey Money were little kids. So like they weren't, they weren't going out and partying. And Did she mention um, at any point looking out into the crowd and seeing a lost little boy without his parents here? Because I know the man. <laughs> <laughs> she does actually mention her. Yeah. The first time I ever looked out into the crowd in the UK, there was a lost, lost fella from Wales. Back out. Imagine, imagine that now. But I would like to get into a, a little bit of emo nuances from that time in particular, because throughout uh, this, and especially it was, it was so popular uh, through those years, was MySpace. You know, such an iconic um, platform. I mean, not to make you two feel even older, but I never had a MySpace account because I was too I young. I was fucking, I was king of it. I had 58,000 friends on MySpace. Wow. And I didn't have one of them add-in bots. Or whatever Enter Shikari we use in to add people at the time. They were literally coming to me. I was the king of MySpace. <laughs> I was gutted when it died. Ah, I wish I could get it back today. Well, yeah, you, I mean, you, you were in a band in the era and something that came up in the book is like how those streams weren't monetized. It wasn't like Spotify now where you get like a por portion of a penny. You got nothing for those streams. And so many bands had tens, hundreds of billions of MySpace streams. And if you were big, between like 05 and 2010, if your band was big, then tough luck. <laughs> yeah, uh, I know. I know. Oh, don't make me feel worse about my life than I actually do, Chris. <laughs> I could be living in a fucking mansion. I could be not having to do this bloody podcast if it wasn't. <laughs> if they're my stream space, uh, there's my, my stream plays got, got fucking paid. Ah, uh, but yeah. It was a wild time. It was a wild time. I just remember it went from being just this blank white website to everybody. Every band had at least one nerd who could code, who was like, oh, I tell you what, then I'm going to paint out my space in mad colors. Here we go. But yeah, what a, what a crazy, I completely forgotten about that time. And it was one of my favorite times to be alive as well. So, cause yeah, I, I remember like over here, the Arctic Monkeys were the first band to ever get big off the back of MySpace. And then it was Enter Shikari, like a couple of months after, which was mad. And yeah, what a great, fantastic tool MySpace was for bands around the world. Yeah. It's so cool to hear about bands. I mean, like, obviously the Arctic Monkeys huge over here. And I remember when they were blowing up in like 05, like 
reading about that in like Blender magazine, Spin magazine. Enter it's 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 so cool to hear like Enter Shikari. Cause they were like, I remember like them, they were like a band here who were like a scene band, but they weren't huge. It's so interesting to hear about these bands who were like kind of the parallel scene in the UK who were so much there. It's really interesting. Mm. Yeah, there was um yeah, it was quite a few really, I suppose. There was like Enter Shikari, um Young Guns did very did very well over here. Yumiya Six. Yumiya Six did very well over here, not so good over there. But it's always been kind of weird to me to see all these bands of these scenes and seeing who makes it internationally, wherever they're from. Like if they're from the UK, there's people who are massive here and they have just no presence in the US at all. And especially you hear so many US legacy bands of this emo time that really didn't make it over here either. It's it's weird to see that there is that kind of divide or I don't know if it's luck or, or what. Yeah, I mean, it's really different markets, right? You know, in some ways, because like, not, not, so, I mean, obviously, like the UK is like really densely populated, lots of people there, as, as long a, a running of rock culture as in America, longer really. But because it's just such a small land area comparatively, I feel like it's kind of like getting big in one market versus like so much harder to get big in America. Because getting big in America means not just being big in New York and LA, but also being big and being able to draw people in like Houston, Texas or Denver, Colorado or something like that. Who were some UK bands that you think were part of that scene back then then, that did very, very well over there? Because we don't really see it over here, I guess. Yeah, I mean, it makes me think, to answer your question, like... I was thinking, should I have covered the UK more in my book? You know, did I over, did I overlook it because I wasn't there? Cause there's a bit of it when it comes to like MCR and the black parade era, there's a bit, especially anything MCR in the book. There's a lot of UK cause they were so big there. I don't really get to the UK much in my book. Cause I feel like there wasn't a big scene band from the UK in America until bring me the horizon and bring me to the horizon got big just after the era of my book. Like my book is 99 to 08 on the cover and they got really big in like 09, 2010, you know, like pray for plagues, Chelsea smile, you know, metal core era, bring me the horizon kind of like the next iteration of the scene after my book before them, it's hard for me to think of, anything remotely that size that came from the uk that makes sense yeah, <laughs> yeah that's about right yeah i just i was just wondering from yeah just from your opinion i wanted to see it from the other side really because yeah we had a lot of bands fucking trying to be the massive band uh, in the states but just never actually getting over there i guess i think the, the closest we probably had to success was make lost profits it probably was yeah Another thing I wanted to dive into, and you mentioned like the importance of record labels early on. I feel like at that time, there was just so many people who were fans of record labels. It doesn't matter what was on there, like drive-thru records, for example. There's so many people who would pick up an album just because it had that drive-thru sticker on there. Oh, they must be good if they've signed them. I mean, that culture in itself seems to have um, died down massively. I know there's the whole thing with record labels and 
and stuff, but things like drive through and victory seem to be like its own lease of life within the scene. Those labels were almost like bands or artists themselves in the sense that if you liked one release, you would check out the next one. It's like just as you would be a fan of Fall Out Boy, you would be a fan of Fuel by Ramen or Pete's label within Fuel by Ramen, the cadence. Fuel by Ramen, I bought, um, there was a band called Recover and I bought their first record um, from Fuel by Ramen. And I remember it coming over and they sent me like a Fuel by Ramen t-shirt and uh, loads of stickers, and they were like, you should check out Paramore. And I was like, what the fuck is this? And I wish I'd kept that, because that's got to be worth something now. But I probably just threw it in the bin like a fucking idiot. But I loved me some Recover, and then ultimately started loving everything that was on Fooled by Ramen, which is mad to think now, because, yeah, there's not many labels anymore where you're like, oh, I love 90-plus percent of what they put out now. It's just so varied. Definitely not on the, on the scale of what it was. I mean, in the States, there's like definitely some good indie labels from like emo post hardcore, like Run for Cover has been a standby for the past like 10 years or so. Thank your lucky stars. They're like more of like the DIY, you know, you know, they're, they're, they're not like churning out the next Paramore, but you know, I think as like the scene goes through cycles, it's important to have the stuff that's, you know, more in touch with the underground. Cause you know, as, as this stuff gets bigger, you lose a lot of the tenants, you know, the, the, the left wing stuff, the political aspects of the scene that kind of unfortunately tend to get lost away when shit blows up popular. Was there any, <laughs> I know you've, you've, you mentioned left wing stuff. I just had the idea. Was there ever any right wing emo? Like what? I don't get. I don't get. I don't know what it would be. Like I have no idea what they'd be fucking singing about. Like fuck, you know. There seems to be plenty of like left wing, left leaning type people in the emo scene, but then no right wing dickheads, which is good actually, obviously. But any right wing emo bands? It's a mad question. I don't think I've ever, <laughs> I ever would have ever asked anyone. But yeah, I don't know if they'd openly admit it if they were. Speaking of public trouble, another thing um, that is just mad from that time is seeing kind of rivalries or kind of inside drama between different bands kick off. And I think you don't get that anymore. You know, you just got to look at like Mike Ken versus The Used or Taking Back Sunday versus Brand New. Like it was at that time such an interesting thing to look at what was going on and, and be entertained by it. But was it a really good thing for the scene? Was it a bad? I mean, it's it's a weird dynamic to to think that all these people had open beef at one point. Yeah, I mean, like on the surface, love a good band rivalry. You know, it's just it's it's when there's toxic things at the roots of the rivalry when it gets bad. Obviously, I mean, it's well documented. You know, misogyny in the. Uh, the roots of the TBS brand new beef and like all the shit that, you know, Jesse Lacey has been accused of talking about that. So talking about like the rivalry of brand new and TBS feels a bit unsavory now, like knowing so much of like what was at the heart of it with, and with MCR and the use you know, substance abuse, addiction, mental illness had a lot to do with it with, you know, you know, Bert's, you know, Bert's struggles with, with alcohol had a lot to do with like why ultimately his friendship with Gerard fell apart. So it's, it, you know, it feels rough glamorizing some of this stuff too much. 
band beefs, band rivalries, I think always been gripping for people who follow music, whether it's like Oasis and Blur, Drake and Meek Mill. And there were, there were like so many band rivalries that like go on like the obvious ones that we were talking about. I mean, there were like little rivalries between like the Academy is and Spittlefield or maybe not, no, maybe like the Academy is and I can't remember what other Chicago band it was. The, uh, that like, um, Adam, the bass player from Academy is was telling me about, but yeah. And also just like silly stuff with like the Academy is touring the UK with panic at the disco as panic at the disco was blowing up. And even though the Academy is, was the headliner, people left after panic at the disco because they were blowing up and like some rock magazine of the UK would interview the panic and act like it was there for. So, you know, innocent stuff like that with the book, I really tried to find some fun in and just like poke fun at these dudes egos from their 19 year old selves. And, you know, the more serious stuff that I was talking about, I really tried to portray it in a way that, you know, that felt appropriate and, was serious where it needed to be. Well, I can, um, yeah, I can vouch for how terrible that feels when you're headlining and the support band gets bigger than you because, um, my band once did a tour in the UK called Give It a Name Presents Tour and we were all playing a festival called Give It a Name Festival and there was four relatively unknown bands who went out together and it was like rotating headliner and it was my band, The Blackout, a band called Drive By. Uh, classic case, um, and, um, a, a band called Paramore. I don't know if they <laughs> went on to do anything, but after the second, cause it was returned in headliner. So we'd go like, so the first gig was like drive by were headlining. Then the second gig was Paramore headlining. Then the third gig was in Cardiff. So we were headlining. But by the time we got to the second gig, we were like, Oh no, we understand who everybody is here to see. That's fine. Let them headline for the love of God. And yeah, it was their first ever time in the UK. They blew up on that tour. It was amazing to watch. But yeah, I, I know that feeling of being like, yes, we're headlining. Oh, for fuck's sake. Nobody cares. <laughs> what were the crowds like for the Paramore shows? So they were all like 300 capacity rooms, if that, like 250, 300 capacity. And it was the first time that I think my band particularly had seen the girl to boy ratio be like three or four to one. I think Ailey was like 16. Her parents were out with her on tour and they were, um, yeah, they'd have the little prayer circles before they'd go on, which was cute. But yeah, there was four of us sharing tiny, tiny dressing rooms as well. And it was very, very strange. Yeah. Weird to see. And yeah, look at her now. Probably, I don't know what she's up to now. Probably just. Nothing, I suppose. <laughs> definitely not. Definitely not going on tour with Taylor Swift, um, playing to thousands of people a night, like. So, yeah, good one. <laughs> That's so cool. Yeah, yeah. I, I saw got to see Paramore around the same time in Jersey, and like, yeah, I, like definitely so many more young girls coming out to the shows, and like they were always like, th- th- like the poppier side, but also like all sides really of like the emo explosion. It got big because so many more young women and just like people besides dudes were coming out to the shows, you know, that's pretty obvious. Paramore going to see them in that era. One thing that struck me is I remember kids bringing printed out lyrics of the songs 
to the shows wow. to like sing along to. And that I had never seen before. And I, rem- I remember seeing that the first time I saw Paramore, which was uh, in Jersey in 06. They play a little club called Obsessions. And yeah, I was just like, wow, crowd is definitely changing. And like these kids are really enthusiastic, like enough to print out the lyrics and bring them to the show. Yeah, we were just shocked because we were still because the four of us were like had never really done many big tours in the UK. Well, it was Paramore's first ever time over. And I think classic might have been classic cases as well. Basically, if the venue was 300 capacity, there was 200 girls coming every night and it was amazing. And it literally changed the whole vibe of everything. And then we all went on to do Give It a Name Festival. And you, you could see, you could see that they were fucking stars from the get go. And then, so that, yeah, that must have been before Riot came out because. Yeah, be the first album. Yeah, ultimately, I introduced her to Refused. And then she ended up doing that song, yeah. Born for This. Yeah, with the, the last uh, track, yeah. She, so she, yeah, she said, so I, I saw her again years later and she said, oh yeah, you introduced me to Refused. She was uh-huh. like, do you know Born for This on her album? And I was like, yeah, what, the one with the Refused lyrics? <laughs> and she was like, <laughs> she was like, yeah. And I was like, oh, great. Do I get a, do I get a cut? Do I get a cut and riot now or, or what? Can me and Dennis Lixon from Refused chase some money? Cause I'd love some <laughs> of it. Fantastic memories. And they have, they're getting exactly what they deserve because she's wonderful. Um, and, uh, Zach is wonderful as well. So well done to the Paramore. I think it's safe to say how much Haley has inspired the whole generation of women to get into the scene and, and stuff as well. And every band with a female vocalist, unfortunately, does get compared to them, which is uh, a bit of a curse, but you know, that inspiration. Is seen throughout. Is there any um, other female like leading bands um, from that time period that maybe didn't get the recognition, or especially in the states, that then cross over to the UK that you think was worth uh, uh, talking about? Yeah, I mean, again, Hey Monday for sure, and like Cassidy in the book goes into like, yeah, everyone just called like compared us to Paramore, and like I though we sounded more like Blink and Fall Out Boy, and like. They don't sound super di- different from Paramore, but yeah, they were just so pigeonholed as like, oh, the next Paramore. And, you know, like a lot of other genres, unfortunately, I feel like this scene had this complex where for whatever reason, it only allowed one female A-lister at a time. And it, it mirrored in hip hop over like, now, and I mean, now there's several finally where it's like Megan Thee Stallion and Nicki Minaj and Cardi B, City Girls. There's like, but for a while it would just be like Missy Elliott, you know, the beginning of Nicki Minaj. There'd be like, or Lauren Hill, where it was just sort of like one, one, one. There could like, there could only be one female star at a time and the rest dudes. That's broken down finally. But yeah, it, it seemed like that got in the way of Hey Monday. Um, Megan Dia is another one. And also funny enough, uh, Dia Frampton was also a finalist on The Voice over here in the States. But yeah, she, her and her sister, uh, Megan Dia is the name of the band. They put out an album in 04, their debut album has a song on it called Monster. Do you guys, do you guys know this at all? This band or the song? No. I remember the name. I remember the name, but I don't remember the song. 
Megan Diaz song album's great song monster in particular like for anyone who just like loves you know loves like Paramore and wishes like they, they could hear another female frenzied band from this scene on the aughts that's like a deep cut that like decent chance people haven't heard dig up that one yeah that's that song gets me so pumped Megan Diaz monster but yeah they're both from Utah, so they kind of came out of left field, put out a, a debut album on Doghouse, uh, you know, indie label from this, put out a second album on a major label that like they hoped would break big, didn't, the band split. And they still put out cool stuff now, they got back together, but Megan and Dia are another one that could have been big. And on like the more indie tip, a couple bands like uh, Hush Sound, um, the, the co- co-front person Greta Morgan I interviewed for the book they were in, they were one of Pete's bands who were signed to Decadence Hush Sound is a great one love their album Leg Vines and uh, Stray Light Run who was uh, the band that formed out of Take Sunday Splitting when John and Sean left the band and uh, Michelle Nolan like, shares lead vocals on that album is uh, such a great vocalist songwriter and uh existentialism on prom night that one's a little bit more well known so probably a lot of people listening know that song but if you don't stray light run existentialism on prom night emo all-timer yeah nice was well, awesome to see how uh how different the scene is this these days and uh, inclusive it is but chris we won't keep you too much longer because we've realized we've uh talked your ear off <laughs> for quite a while but uh just a couple of uh final things while we uh wind this down um so talked about all this kind of great reception um, from doing these kind of interviews and stuff with the book as well. I'm sure you've had some amazing comments and not to, <laughs> not to pick one that's negative I've seen, but I did find it funny doing the rounds as a meme last week on the internet as uh, Biddy Corgan from Smashing Pumpkins found the book and then for some reason went online and got very annoyed that the Smashing Pumpkins don't get included into this kind <laughs> of world even though <laughs> he influenced the guy on the cover, who's Jared Way. So right. I kind of just like your The only way, <laughs> the only way he gets a fucking mention in a book is, is if you describe Jared Way as fucking smashing pumpkin singer lookalike. Other than that, stick your fucking smashing pumpkins. <laughs> Get out of town, cheeky back. Get back to wrestling, will you, Bill? Fucking William. Yeah. How do you feel about that? How was that for you? It was funny. My, my, a couple of friends who are in the book show me like, cause I don't follow him on Instagram, but he like posted, like you guys were saying, he posted on Instagram like, a, a screenshot of the book, like with my name cropped out of like <laughs> smashing pumpkins written out of emo history. And I was like, okay, thanks for the shout out, I guess. <laughs> But literally, because literally what he's upset about is that MCR, a big inspiration of them was Smashing Pumpkins, specifically Gerard and Mikey going to see them at MSG on the Melancholy Tour and them saying we should form a band watching Smashing Pumpkins play. And that is literally the quote from Mikey that opens up the Black Parade chapter. So Billy Corrigan pretty sure he did not open the book but either way, <laughs> either way thank you for the shout out <laughs> thank you billy 
Good, good publicity, William. Yeah, nice one. You fucking yeah, idiot. Read publicity. the book, will you? Read the book, Bill. <laughs> and I know he listens to this every week. He's a massive fan of this podcast, right, Billy? Listen, I feel like he just really, I don't know. He, he's one of those people who, for whatever reason, just seems really miffed or insecure about his legacy and how people perceive him. Long story short, you guys should probably get him on because he probably wants attention. And if you just like give him, probably it'll it'll be hard for you guys to get any words in because he'll just start rambling about whatever is bothering him. But uh, good, yeah. And then I can have a go at him back for it. Shut up, you fucking millionaire! Stop whinging about stuff, you million, you multi millionaire. He owns a wrestling company now, so I mean, we do like wrestling. Yeah, we, <laughs> we, we do do probably wrestling. will come on to talk about wrestling. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I'm not, I'm not opposed to that. We'll see, we'll see what happens. Um, we should uh, we should end with some negative stuff, though. Is there a, a comment or a message or um, anyone who's reached out to you with some uh, stuff about the book that's kind of blown you away or just kind of made you feel like this process was uh, really worth going through and, and putting all the hours and, and work in? Yeah, I mean, a good amount of the people in the book, especially prominent voices in the book, have like reached out and said things like, this feels really real or like people even saying like, I was kind of skeptical doing this interview, but reading this now, like, Oh wow. Like you got it right. Like that feels so special because especially with the early chapters of the book, you know, like I said, the book starts in 99. I didn't really get involved participating in the scene a lot until like Oh three. So the early years of this, I really knew I had to do my due diligence, come correct with this, because I really did not want to get it wrong and have like people who were there saying this doesn't feel representative. So hearing people from the, the early chapters say like you got it right and like say how much they enjoyed the book, it it means so much. It really does. Because also it's like it's the early chapters are very New Jersey centric, which is obviously where I grew up. So it all means so much to me. There's been a lot of like really humbling experiences the past few months. Nice. Well, that's fantastic to hear. Um, I'd love if you could leave us with, uh, it might be a bit of a tough question, but your emo Mount Rushmore, if you had to, uh, put put people up for, uh, up for that, who would, uh, who would you, uh, go with? Is it people or bands or mog? Specify what the fucking Ooh, either. What, what the criteria either is, Mog. both, whatever Chris feels like. Oh, nice. Go on then. I mean, there's an easy four, which would just be the four biggest ones, which are MCR, Fall Out Boy, Paramore, and Panic. So I won't give you that one because that's like obvious. I'll give you like, I'll give you my four favorite albums. Does that work? Oh, yeah, go for it. Go for it. As a Mount Rushmore for the four. Mount Rushmore albums. Yeah. Uh, Jimmy World, Bleed American. Uh, Fall Out Boy, take this to your grave. Correct. <laughs> it's opinion, like, correct. Thursday, full collapse. Nice. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah. And three cheers for Sweet Revenge. No, I, I, I was going to say, I, I feel like you're not allowed to double up in these things, but this is just be, me being totally honest. Second Jimmy World album, Clarity. Wow. Mm. Jim, Jim. Double header on the Mount Rushmore. Jim, Jim Two Eds. That's what his name is from now on. Jimmy Two Eds. He got two heads on Mount Rushmore. Fucking hell. Oh, good choices. Oh, yeah. Mine would have been, uh, oh, nobody asked. Um, Bleed America and Three Cheers for Sweeter Revenge. Fucking maybe Full Collapse. 
Oh, wait, do we count Glass Joe? They, they would not appreciate it, but I think. Oh, no, 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 back. They would, they back would, they would, they, they, they're one that's still, they're one. Uh, just, shout out to Justin Beck, the guitarist, also the, in a lot of ways, like the mastermind of Glass Jaw. Hilarious interview, super insightful guy. But yeah, not keen on being called emo. But no, we, we, God we can, no. We can we can put them on on our because oh, this cool. is right there. Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah, it's mine. Yeah, yeah, it's mine. So uh, <laughs> every, everything you ever want to know about silence, I'm gonna put that before worship and tribute. Even though worship and tribute might have been a better album, everything you ever wanted to know about silence meant more to me because that's what made me get into them. Um, but yeah, Beck would absolutely fucking hate to be called emo, and I love it that we've called it emo. So I hope he listens to this and he hates it. So there you go. Have that, Justin, you yeah. bastard. I just think it's criminal. None of you have mentioned tell your friends we're taking Black Sunday. But That yeah, is also it. very bad of us. <laughs> yeah, that is stupid. There's too many. We could Fuck. be here all day for this. We could be, you know, we could be. Deja Entendu. You can't like that. You're not allowed to like that anymore. But what a fucking album. What an album. And on that note, Chris, thank you so much. Uh, for taking the time it's been lovely just kind of dissecting this and going through uh memory lane and everything emo so uh if you would like to leave the listeners with uh any plugs for the book where can people pick it up in the states in the uk wherever just uh yeah let us know yeah for sure yeah the book is called where are your boys tonight in stores you know buy it at your favorite indie bookseller it's probably a little bit easier to find in stores if you're in the u.s but i've seen people internationally finding it in stores too someone in finland was like oh so psyched to see it in my library so go go <laughs> go, go, go look for it in your favorite independent bookstore and if that fails if you can't find it because finland and, and you know it's, it's, it's available on amazon you know if, if all else fails and uh shout out to everyone who's picked it up or stolen a copy or bummed a copy or said something about it. And uh, thank you. And anyone who wants to follow me uh, at C-Pain on a Plane is my handle for Twitter and Instagram. Awesome. But yes, Chris, thank you very, very much for this. It's been super, super interesting. And I cannot wait to check the book out myself. Good luck with uh, the follow-up. The number two. We'll see. Yeah. Someone's. I, I don't have an idea yet for a second book, but I agree. Someone should hand me a second book deal. Yes, they go. <laughs> absolutely. absolutely. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. Perhaps you do like a mini version of the book you've done now with a, a little UK chapter, uh, and uh, we can put you in touch with everyone you need to speak to in the UK then as well. So there we go. And the Billy Corgan chapter. Oh, and obviously <laughs> Billy Corgan. Yeah. Oh, please get in touch with Billy Corgan. About doing some sort of smashing pumpkins fucking autobiography. I just mentioned of him. Call him My Chemical Romance's favorite band all the way through rather than use their actual name. Oh, he'd love that, William. He'd love that. But anyway, sorry, Chris. We, yeah, we've kept you here for over an hour. Sorry about this. Very, very sorry. Thank you very much. Cheers, brother. Thank you. Thank you, guys. Peace out. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack 
for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Yeah. Yes. yes, that was the mighty Chris Payne talking about his book. His book. His book. My oh. voice is going, his book. Yeah, that was Chris Payne talking about his book. Where are your boys tonight? Which is available now online in actual physical book form um, and Kindle and all that mad nonsense. Please check it out. It's um, It's a great read about... A very, very important time for uh, music, despite at the time nobody feeling like they were doing anything <laughs> important. Ah, <laughs> oh, retrospect, fucking bitch, really. Isn't it? Hindsight is mental. <laughs> like we're all like, oh, yeah, let's do. Yeah, we have screamy verses and singy, singy choruses. I don't think is any talent in that screaming. Next minute, biggest bands in the world, mental, absolutely mental. Not my band, obviously. The, the other bands we spoke about earlier. With Chris, <laughs> I do love the fact that uh, all this excitement of talking of yesteryear has made your voice go back twenty years. Yeah, man. <laughs> Appreciate him taking the time to uh, dive into a lot of things uh, there with us. It's just nice sometimes to have these chats about certain scenes and time periods and everything going on and some secrets people don't know about. There's a lot of that in the book. I encourage everyone to pick it up. It's great to see emo has evolved so much over the years. It's gone in, took over the mainstream. It disappeared for a little bit uh, from the spotlight, and it's back now, bigger than ever, probably. It's a shame, fucking MySpace don't come back because mm. I'm probably still doing quite well on that. <laughs> um, and I know my password. I logged into it the other day, but for some reason, it wouldn't let me see my photos or delete any of them. So that was fun. Wait, so it's still up, but like my, MySpace.com works, yeah. What? If you go to myspace.com forward slash sexy sexy Sean, please <laughs> really? don't judge me. I made all my usernames up as a laugh because I never thought any of these social media platforms would take off. If you go to myspace.com forward slash sexy sexy Sean, it's still going, but it's still there. I haven't got a song or anything like that. But your photo but like your photos and stuff are still there. Yeah, photos are still there. Uh can't delete them and my top eight is still the same. Top eight wow. friends. Wow. Yeah. Perhaps we should make one. No, I can you make, make new? I don't know the facts. I don't going know. On, why would the BF if, if you can't? Uh, we should make a myspace.com forward slash happening pod. Someone, if MySpace are listening, sort it out. We'll bring it back just just for just, us. I'm pretty sure Justin Timberlake owns it. D- yeah, 
he bought it you he bought it for like 18 million dollars years and years and years Fucking ago this, and then he was million. like i'm bringing my space back and then um he stopped dancing and um he's bringing sexy back instead and then the money ran out like <laughs> yeah he tried to bring my space back and he failed so he had to bring sexy no he brought sexy back before which is lucky because we were all looking quite bland prior to <laughs> Justin bringing sexy back. Isn't it mad that a man with such a plain head, really, like, don't get me wrong, don't get right. me, unbelievable voice, great voice, unbelievable talent, great dancer, right? Six out of ten, Ed. If you were creating him on a game, you would be the zero Ed, like the Ed you start on. <laughs> that you don't change. <laughs> anyway, let's stop talking about Justin Timberlake. No one expected this to go to Justin Timberlake. Um, That's only because he's next week's guest. Oh, if uh, if you play wrestling games or anything and you create your own character, please create a Justin Timberlake one for us. Let us know. Tag us and stuff at Sapling Pod on Twitter, X, what the fuck is called now, Instagram, and maybe TikTok sometimes. We want to see some stuff. Uh, and also go back and check out previous episodes because most of the emo legends we've talked about in this feature on previous ones of Sapnin. So go scroll back. There's plenty of there uh, you can check out. Or if there's anyone in particular you want us to talk to for the future, let us know as well. We're always uh, up for our new ideas and comments and stuff like that. I've just realized something. Oh. Our last three guests have all written books. Fucking hell, they have, yeah. Oh, bro, we're turning into a SWAT pod. We turn into a SWAT cast. Uh, all right, next week's guests, non-nerds, right? <laughs> <laughs> if you've written a book, you're not on next week's podcast. I'm not having it, right? Let's give back to the fucking dullards like me who haven't written a book. <laughs> Is it? No, they have. They have, haven't they? That's fucking Tom Fletcher, fucking Kia Kemp of Fearless Vampire Killers and Gordon Ramsay's Macca. I know Chris Pitt, we got to stop this, but... In fact, they we're getting too smart for ourselves. We don't fucking know what's yeah, going we're, on. We're an audio-only podcast and we're fucking telling people to go to books. Like, <laughs> what are we doing? <laughs> Let's stop advertising people who do books. For fuck's sake. This is where books are meant to be in the years now. So we're literally losing listeners by pushing them to people's books. Hey, don't check out Chris Payne's book. No, I'm joking. Do check it out. It's a fucking cracking read. Yeah, next week's guest, gotta not be uh, an author. Okay, we'll try it. We'll try our best. With all that being said, if you enjoy all this chaos and you want some more, head over to patreon.com forward slash Sapnin. Not only is that the best way to support us, but there's even more conversations on there. We're going to be dropping an interview in the next week that will not be on uh, the regular podcast platform. So you can go and check that out over there. It's one from our festival season mayhem and you get connected with so many amazing people that you can meet, hang out, go to gigs with. Uh, meet virtually from all over the world. There's people from Australia, UK, US, Germany. I mean, I could go on forever here. Um, and they all do really very different stuff in their lives. So if you feel like making some new friends, patreon.com forward slash Sapnin. If you head to the description of this episode, there's loads of names there that we thank. But as always, Sean is going to give a mahoosive shout out to the elite members of our Sapnin podcast Patreon community. Yes, thank you very, very much to it. <coughs> oh. <coughs> Oh, and he died mid, um, mid announcement. Thank you very much to all of these mega babes. You literally keep us going. Everybody who's listening to this on the free, basically stealing our podcast, 
needs to thank these people because they're the reason you get to hear this. Thank you very much, Kylie Wheeler, Mayumi Liwoway, Janelle Caston, Paul Hirschfield, Scarlett Charlton, Tony Michael, Dilly Grimwood, Kelly Owen, Natasha Boris, Nathan Croshaw, Mitch Perry, Emma Barber, Alexandra Pemblinton, Kat Besant, Molly Malloy and James Bowerbank, Jenny Robson, Scott Successful Burger Delivery Jones, Murray Grimwood, Amy Dorsell, Amy Louise, Stuart McNaught, Ellen Southfield, Stephen Aston, Caroline Robson, Kate Patrick, Louis Cook, Martina McManus, Danny Eaton, Carl Pendlebury, James McNaught, Jenny Munster, Jason Aredia, John and Emma, M. Evans Roberts, Craig Harris, Evan, Sean Foynes, Emily Perry, Vicky, Kalila Keane, Ollie Amesbury, Adam King of the Gods Parslow, Josh, my friend was shocked when I told him I didn't know what the word apocalypse means. I said, relax, it's not the end of the... And then his, um, <laughs> his name ran out there. Second reverse, Joe Janaway, Kyle David Smith, and last by no means least, Connor Lewins. Listen, folks, if everything has gone to plan, if everything has gone to plan, Skindred should have a number one album today. <gasps> if God exists, <laughs> Skindred will have a number one album. Um, we are recording this the day before we find out. So um, good luck to fucking everyone, Skindred. I hope you fucking got it. You absolutely, nobody deserves it more than those fucking boys. They've been going for fucking years. This week, they're their first ever Quran cover. That blows my mind. Mm. Nobody was angrier for Skindred <laughs> than I was. You're in, huh? What? But yes, yeah, so fucking whatever's happened to Skindred, fucking well done. The album's fucking cracking. They're a fucking great bunch of lads. They deserve everything they're about to get, hopefully. Massive love to Skindred. Very, very good friends of ours. It's amazing to see how far they've come. Hopefully we'll be having some more conversations with them in the future as well so to keep updated with everything make sure you're subscribing wherever you listen to this podcast and we'll be back friday and every week for new episodes very special guests and good laughs in between so until then dance in your underwear to paramore like i will be doing after we finish recording this that's very strange the blacker tour is still on sale um <laughs> tickets are still available I, I sound like wayne from wayne like tickets are still available Still available at many venues. Cardiff's got less than 20 tickets left, but I might be Ooh. saying that for the next six months, to be honest. So, um, yeah, please think about checking it out. Um, Raiders played in Abertillery last week in South Wales. Thank you very much to the people from the Patreon and who listened to the podcast who came along. It was lovely to see you all. I appreciate you greatly. Thank you very much. Stay safe. Never die. Sapnin! Sapnin! Thought we were doing an harmony, You're listening to Sabnin Podcast with Sean Smith and Morgan Richards. Thank you very much for downloading this podcast or streaming it or I don't I don't know what else you do with podcasts. Um, thank you very much. <laughs>